Well, it's, uh, it's truly awesome to have the Fresno Campus Ministry here. Very excited. And, um, you know, I do want to single out the, the leaders of the Fresno Campus Ministry, Richard and Shannon Buckner. Can I have you guys stand up really quick? You know, that, so. You just want to know who's responsible for this, uh, the crazy group that's standing up here. It's them, but, uh, we're, I know I'm just impacted by you guys and y'all's heart to, for, for campus, for God's people. They moved from Orange County and went up to, to serve in the Fresno ministry up there, serve the church up there. And it's just been doing amazing things. And Richard always calls it, he said, this is the jewel of the West. And that's what he says. And, and so now I'm like, I just, I actually want to go to Fresno because it's the jewel of the West. I just want to go visit, you know, Fresno. Let's be clear on that. Um, you know, as you notice, Ron and Cheryl, our, our lead evangelist and women's ministry leader, they're not here uh, because the inaugural service of the 101 Christian ministry, the, the San Luis Obispo ministry, the replanting is happening right now. It started at 1030. Yeah, very exciting. So actually what I wanted to do before I get into my sermon, I actually wanted to take a quick little picture from all of us waving to them. And we're going to text it to Cheryl and uh, tell her good luck and, uh, and stuff like that. Just so that we know, you know, we're, we're connected with them. Ron and Cheryl uh, mentor the leaders that are leading that church out there. Ron's preaching the opening message. And, uh, and actually this, this Tuesday night, uh, Kip and Bethany Harms, the leaders of the San Luis Obispo church out there, are going to be here to teach at our midweek service. So very exciting for that connection there. So... I'm serious. We're going to take a selfie right now. You guys ready? Let's stand on up. Come on. We're taking a selfie. Yeah, just give it to somebody like my wife and we'll send the message or send the message to Cheryl. Tell them good luck. So anyways, um, before I start, I'd love to love to kick us off with a prayer. We're going to pray for the slow ministry and then we're going to uh, got another prayer request. Father, it's, it's so amazing to be here. It's amazing just to worship you. So grateful for the connections that we have with friends and family. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that our hearts can be opened that we can uh, that, that it can speak speak to us, Lord. Also, in a special way, you know, I do want to pray for for Megan Ramirez, his uncle, and her whole family, as her uncle passed, and they they mourning the loss of her uncle. I pray that you can comfort them. Also, I pray, Lord, right now that that you know, as as the San Luis Obispo Church is having their inaugural service, God, I pray that hearts are being moved right now. That they are being opened. That there are people there that showed up for the first time. Or maybe they've been coming around and they're just trying to see what it's all about, God. But they are, are, are wanting to, to seek you out and, and deepen a relationship with you or start a new relationship with you. I pray that you preach or that you work powerfully through Ron as he preaches a message. And, uh, you know, we know that he preaches so powerfully. And so I just pray that you work in miraculous ways out in San Luis Obispo uh, this morning and in the months and years to come. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for you and your son. 
It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be reading uh, only a few verses. But um, before we get into it, I wanted to kind of talk about this. Because Hebrews is not just a biblical command for men to make coffee. That's the only joke I planned today, okay? So... Um, it was a letter written by an anonymous author. We don't know if it was a man or a woman, but it was written to a persecuted church. And he's, and he's kind of getting to the end of his letters, 13 chapters. He's in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and, and, and he kind of gets to the end of this chapter where it's what we call the, the, the great hall of faith, where he's bringing to attention all these amazing Men and women who, who have done, by faith, amazing and miraculous things for God. And he gets to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. We're going to read it really quick. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? You know, he's kind of like, okay, i got to close this thing out. You know, so sometimes when a preacher starts with that, you know, you're like, I don't know if, how long the ending is going to be, but he's got two more chapters after this, so I don't know. But he says, what more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about these other people of faith. I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, about Barak, about Samson, about Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, listen to what they did, conquered kingdoms, who through faith administered justice, who gained what was promised because of their faith. You know, it's through faith that we gain what's promised. It's through faith that you're going to get it. That's what he says. Who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, who escaped the edge of the sword. And here's what we're going to kind of like land on. And who's through faith, whose weakness was turned to strength. The title of the lesson this morning, and this is more of an admonition than a title, really. And so I want you to like find somebody near you, give them a little shove, and tell them, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Okay? Brace yourself. You know, um, last week, what was last week? I know some of you are on spring break mode, so you're kind of like, I don't know what day it is. But it was Easter last week, right? We celebrated the resurrection of our Savior. It was an amazing time. You know, and it's funny, and if, you, if you're like me, sometimes, you know, when I'm reading the Bible, you ever read the Bible and you look at the disciples and you're kind of like, what are you guys thinking? Of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You can always see things clearer as you're looking back. But, you know, if I'm honest, every now and then when I'm looking at the disciples, you're kind of like, why were you guys so shocked that Jesus died on the cross? I get that you're sad, but why were you shocked? I mean, he told you that for three years and he tended to live up to his word. Right. So sometimes that, you know, I can look at that and be like, what's going on? And then, guys, why were you shocked that he raised from the dead? Why was this such a shock to you? 
Like, I get that maybe you're kind of like, whoa, but like, why were you shocked? Or why actually, why didn't you even believe it when the women came and told you that he had raised from the dead? You know, and we can look back and kind of wonder, like, what was going through your guys' heads? But, you know, even though Jesus said it, I think there, there's just some things in life that no matter how many books you've read, no how many times somebody said it, it will just not prepare you for what's to come. I mean, we got some parents in here? I mean... <laughs> I don't care how many Lamaze classes and breathing things you went through, how many books you read. Nothing prepares you for that baby coming out. Nothing prepares you for the sleepless nights. Nothing prepares you for the teething that's going to go on and, and, and just the seemingly like just the, the kids' attitudes that come. You know, we're, we're learning things about our two-year-old. You're like, where did you get that? There's some stuff that I'm just, I don't know if anything... I haven't read this in any books that's preparing me. You know what I mean? Like, same with, you know, there's so many other stages in life where it can happen. There, there's, there's just things that don't prepare you for it. But like, you know, think about when uh, our firstborn, Levi. We're trying to get everything set up and prepared. And um, I needed to get the car seat in. And so, you know, I went and bought the base. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to install the car seat and. That, you know, they have all kind of rules on there and stuff. Um, and it's just funny because I found out that all CHP officers are certified car, feet, car seat installers. And so I was like, sweet. Well, I know a CHP officer. His name is Wes Jones. And I'm going to so I'm going to ask Wes to help me install this sucker. And I watched Wes do it, and he got in there, and he was, like, bending his knee. He's putting all his weight on it, like, wrenching at the seat belt and, and making sure that it was in there, safe. And he, he, got my, he got my car seat in there really safe, and then he, uh, he showed me a couple of things, that, uh, you know, some safety things that I needed to do. You know, this is for my firstborn son. And then when he was born and we're, we're going home, we put him in the car seat, and I, I normally drive, like, the, the, at 12 o'clock, but we're driving home, and I'm driving 10 and 2. About 20 miles an hour, all the way home from Tarzana. When Judah was born, Lashana was like, slow down, honey. I, you know, it was just... The point is, anything new can create a sense of instability. And that's what's going on to the early church here. You got the writer of Hebrews. He's writing this letter to this church and they just started. The, I mean, Jesus spent three years with them preaching and living and then he died and then he, he, he raised again and then he was there for 40 days and then he left. And they've got to figure this thing out. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's encouraging them. He's saying stuff like, keep going. You're going to make it. That's what he's saying in Hebrews. He's telling them, and they needed to hear it because, listen, the church wasn't called Christianity yet. They didn't really have the name. They were called the way. People actually thought they were just some, uh, like some radicals part of the Jewish faith. They thought it was just a religious sect of the Jewish faith. It wasn't, didn't even have its own identity yet. They had not, there wasn't jewelry out for the church. Okay? They didn't have their tax exempt status going on. They didn't know if it, this thing was going to live on through this next generation. 
And so as the writer of Hebrews is going through this, he's telling them to like, hey, you got to get accustomed to the new way of life. You don't have to sacrifice the same way you did because there was one sacrifice for everything. You don't have to worry about that anymore. It's through Jesus that you can actually approach the throne with confidence. That's what he's telling them. But he's saying that you're running this race. You got to keep going. You got to grow stronger. You got to not grow weak. You can't shrink back. And then you get to Hebrews 11 where he calls forth all these amazing witnesses. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just, I like to come to church to know that I'm not in this by myself. I'm not alone. And he calls forth all these witnesses. He's like, guys, those men and women, they went through some tough times too. And through faith, they made it. Through faith, they braced themselves and they got through the tough times. And you know, as he's going through that list, you know, he gets down to the end, like I said, and and he starts bringing up some of these other characters. And they just get like a mention. He brings up David. And I love David because David is like the shepherd boy that became a king. And I can see David makes a lot of sense to me when it comes to, you know, a man that went from weakness to strength. David makes absolute sense. I mean, when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel... David's dad didn't even invite him to that family meeting, right? David's dad was like, well, David, you take care of the sheep. It's going to be one of your brothers that's going to be the king, not you. And Samuel gets there, and David's not there. You know, it was David that was doubted on the battlefield by everybody. You know, they didn't even trust him. It was David that that won the battle over the giant Goliath using a slingshot. You know, sometimes that's how it is. You just got to use what you got and go on the faith that God gives you. You know, against all odds, David prevailed. I can see why David is used as an example of strength. Weakness turned to strength. I can even see why Samuel is used as, as as, as that example. Samuel's Mom, Hannah was, was barren and he was, this, he was the prophet that was used to anoint David. But he was born in a barren situation. And I'm not going to get into all of it, but he was brought into Israel to fix a broken system. I can see that. I can see the weakness to strength with Samuel. I can even see it with some of these other characters, some of the judges. You know, before the kings came, God sent judges. Because what happened to Israel, Israel was a little bit of an unstable people. They would follow God sometimes and then follow themselves sometimes. They would serve God and then serve themselves. And so God would send them and judge to bring them back. So one of them was Gideon. I mean, Gideon was just a wimp, right? That's who he was. He was a wimp. I mean, this is how Gideon thought of himself. He said, hey... The tribe that I'm a part of, we're the worst. And I'm the worst of the worst. Have you ever been there? Anybody ever known that about yourself? I did. I'll share. I don't talk about this that often. Um, But when I was in high school, there was a girl that I liked on the swim team. So naturally, I joined the swim team. And we had a rule in our family that if you're going to start a sport or something, you have to finish it. And then after that, you can 
decide if you want to continue on, but you have to see the season through or that year through. No quitting. Okay? And I was a pretty good distance runner. That was well known in my high school. And so the coaches, the swim coaches thought, maybe you can swim these long distance swim races. And I guess that makes sense. And I just, I can swim, but I can't get into a rhythm. And out of 32 people in my county, which would kind of be like Santa Clarita, the size of Santa Clarita, men and women, I was number 32. I got DQ'd half the time, disqualified because I couldn't catch my breath, and so I'd stand up in the middle of the pool. (laughs) I was the worst swimmer on the team, in the county, men and women. And it's just a humbling thing to say, you know what I mean? Like, I just could never get into a good rhythm. And that was Gideon, and he knew that about himself. He's this wimp, and he's like threshing wheat in a wine press, and God calls him what? A warrior. That's how God is. He'll see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And so you can see why Gideon would be used as weakness to strength. You can even see why Jephthah. And you're like, who is Jephthah? Aaron, you only know who that is because you get paid to do this. I'm just kidding. Jephthah's mom was a prostitute. And the Bible, when it says his dad's name, it just mentions the city. That's how much she got around. And then half his brothers, his, all his half-brothers despised him. The Bible says that he was surrounded by a gang of scoundrels. Or another version says the people who were surrounding him were worthless men. God still used him and raised him up as a deliverer, as a judge. Weakness to strength. You can see it with Barak. I mean, he started in Hawaii, then went to Chicago as a senator and the 44th president. I'm just kidding. Not that Barack, but he, you know, he's good too. Barack was raised up as a deliverer for Israel as well. But, but, but the thing about Barak was like, he kind of hid behind a woman. He kind of hid behind Deborah. And he was kind of like, well, it, I'll go if you go, Deborah. So he was like the reluctant leader, kind of like Moses. So you can see the weakness to strength. Now, the one on this list, and if you, you go back and look at the list, who am I missing? Samson. Like, how do you know Samson? When you think of Samson, what do you think of? You think of hair? Yeah, he's definitely known for a haircut. And who else, what else do you think of? He's strong. So you just, we just got to figure it out. And sometimes that's what I like to do when we're reading the Bible. We're like, why does he use Samson in this? It's funny. I was telling Lashana, I'm going to be preaching on Samson. You know, and he's in the roll call of faith. And she's like, what? He's in the, roll, the great hall of faith, Samson? You know, Samson's one of those characters that... It, you don't really have to know much about church. You can just walk by a church and you hear the word, you hear the story of Samson. He was known for his strength and a bad haircut. That was what he was known for. That's how we know Samson. But he was strong and then he became weak. But Samson was strong though. You know, some of his stories, we're not going to get into it, but some of your homework is going to be go back and read Judges 13 through 16. But one day, Samson is walking 
and a lion jumps out in front of him. Now think for a second how you deal with a mouse. (laughs) Or maybe last night we had some of the Fresno sisters stay at my house. And uh, I'm not going to say who. (laughs) Well, she just said it, but there was a mosquito in our house. And Lashana almost jumped on the back of one of the girls that was staying at our house. And so I had to jump on our countertops to kill the mosquito. And, uh, and we, we, we love it. Like, um, it's, just, it's just fun, you know. Like, I love coming to the rescue and, and killing things like that. But um, if it was a lion, though, Samson, he ripped that thing apart with his bare hands. I mean, he was strong. Samson, one time he lost a bet, and the the wager was 30 outfits. That's what they wagered. Well, instead of going shopping and getting the 30 outfits, what's he do? Well, he kills 30 Philistines, steals their clothes, and, and gives them. I mean, I guess that's one way to settle your bets. I don't suggest that, but that's what he did. He was just, just had brute strength. One time with Samson, because his own people, the people of Judah, the people that he was there to deliver and save, didn't like a decision he made, so they tied him up and handed him to the Philistines, to, to be handed over to the Philistines. Well, he breaks through the ropes and then finds the jawbone of a donkey, probably something like this size. And then how many people does he kill? 1,000 people. I mean, you just kind of like, okay, this guy was so strong. But then he went weak. So much power, so much potential, and he went weak. You know, in uh, Judges chapter 16, he finds himself in the lap of Delilah. We can read the scripture here really quick. And it says, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Samson went from strength to weakness. And so we got to ask, why is he in there? Why is he in this great roll call of faith if that's his story? You know, um, I worked out once, just once. No, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a workout guru or anything like that, but I have worked out, I have lifted. Um, This is just a man thing where we're all guys, we need to know our bench press number, right? We will be 90 years old and forever talking about, what do you bench, bro? What do you lift? What's, you know, if you don't know your number, campus guys, if you don't know your number, you need to go figure out your bench press number, Okay. Teens, you need to go figure out your bench press number, okay? And it better be more than you weigh. I can tell you this, my bench press number is more than I weigh, okay? I know that much. I think the goal is actually to do it ten, your weight 10 times. Is that correct? That's a pretty good goal. Yeah. But, um, so Lashane and I, we got to, we had the opportunity to get a night away this past week. And I went to work out. And put my body weight minus a little bit on the bench. 
Because I know I'm for sure I can do my body weight, no problem. And as I'm benching, it's, I'm just shaking. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever experienced that at the gym? You go to the gym and you, you're doing something and you're like, it, it shouldn't even be all that hard. You know, it should, it's a weight that you know that you can handle and you're just shaking. You guys, you know that feeling? You ever been there? Okay, I'm not talking about the really heavy weights. I'm just talking about like a weight that like, I've done it with like, you know, like a 20 pound barbell and I'm trying to do it like this. And I'm like, why am I shaking so much right now? Well, if you, I'm not going to get into all of it, but if you really do your research, it's because your, your muscles aren't, you don't have your stabilizing muscles. You know, so like when you're doing the bench press, you actually might be strong enough to lift that weight. But if your triceps aren't strong, it's, it's going to cause you to shake a little bit. Your chest might be, because your chest is bearing the brunt of the weight, your chest might be, plenty, might be fine to lift it. But if your triceps aren't strong, you're going to shake because that's one of the stabilizing muscles in there. And that's what got me thinking about Samson. And that's the message that I want to give to everybody today is I think that we, by and large, are actually stronger than we think. And maybe say that really quick. Say that to yourself. I am stronger than I think. I'm stronger than I think. One more time. I'm stronger than I think. I think we are stronger than we think. The issue isn't necessarily the strength. I think the issue is the stability. I think that was Samson's issue. And I think by and large, for many of us, that can be our issues where it's, we're, we're stronger than we think. But there's a stability issue. And see, here's the thing. When you, when, you, when you don't have stability in certain areas, it starts affecting your strength in other areas. And that's just how it works. And so what I want to spend the rest of the time doing, we're going to go through these kind of fast, but I want to talk about and kind of look at five areas of stability. And I want you to take notes. I want you to write these areas down and use them on your roommates and your wives and your husbands. I'm just kidding. Use them on yourself. Make sure you are looking at yourself and saying, am I stable in these areas? The first area I want to ask you about, are you stable in your emotions? Maybe I actually should ask uh, your kids about that one. Or your boss. Or your roommates. You see, everybody that walked in the doors today, you guys were all stable. But what about at home when nobody knows? See, Samson was a drama queen, man. He was. Samson had strength beyond belief, but it was, he combined it with anger and frustration and it turned to rage versus stability in his emotions combined with physical strength. You know, and we all have emotions. Emotions are actually a good thing. God gave you emotions. You know, God gave me emotions. I mean, I, it would be, I would be ineffective at preaching up here if I did not have emotions. Right? Because every now and then when you're preaching, you, you got to like yell at people sometimes, right? And sometimes you got to get quiet. You know, but it's crazy because the same emotions that might make somebody effective at preaching will also make them very crazy at driving. 
Because me yelling behind the wheel doesn't do good for anybody in the car or out of the car. You know, so the question you got to have to ask yourself is like, am I stable in my emotions? Or am I using my emotions for God? God's the one that gave them to me. What am I using them for? You know, I believe God gave Samson the emotional passion to conquer the Philistines. But if you go through and you read the story, you'll see Samson, what he did with his passion, he took his passion and he spent it all on his preference. He spent it all on the things that he wanted. It wasn't God-centered. It was what he wanted. You know, so instead of delivering his people, he, he acted out of rage and would kill the Philistines. He, would mar- he married the Philistines. You know, and the, the question I would ask you is like, what are you doing with your emotions, with your passions? You know, it's good to have emotions. It's not good that your emotions have you. Okay? You know, I love what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he even went to the cross, what did he do? He dealt with his emotions. He prayed. The Bible says he prayed three times. You know, some of us, when we're in tense situations, situations that we know this is going to cause my emotions to flare up, we don't even pray. Who do we think we are? Jesus had to pray three times. When he came back, one of the, the second time, he found his disciples still awake in Matthew 26. And he looks at him. He says, you guys couldn't even stay awake. He's like, watch and pray. Some of the last input he gave his disciples before he went to the cross. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. See, you, you, you have the ability to control your emotions. But you can't just hope it happens. There's got to be prayer. That was one of the best things that I, you know, after going to reality last night, I mean, it was, he just talked about praying. He talked about breathing deeply to kind of give yourself like that reset. You know, because there are things in our lives that cause emotions to flare up. The next area I want to ask you about if you're stable in is, are you stable in your commitment? Here's the thing, if you consult with your emotions to decide whether to keep your commitments, you will never keep them. You will never keep them. See, the thing about Samson, Samson did not keep his commitments. He was a Nazarene. He was a Nazarite. So he had to take the Nazarite vow. And what the Nazarite vow was all about was like, was three things. One, you can't touch a dead body. And we know that didn't happen for him. He touched and and killed many. You can't drink. And that happened. And you can't shave your head. Samson broke all three commitments. Now, the commitments that we need to make sure we are being stable in are the godly commitments. You know, sometimes we talk about like, well, I got to keep that commitment, but it's not necessarily a commitment that's really going to honor God. Those are the, the types of commitments that you have to decommit from. But are you stable in your commitments to God? You know, do you still love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you still love others? 
I mean, anybody that becomes a Christian, that's the commitment that we make. Is Jesus still Lord? Is that still the filter that you, you, you run everything through? Is that the commitment? Are you stable in your commitment? Or do you go back and forth? Are you only stable in your commitment on a Sunday? And then Monday, I'm not so stable. And then Tuesday, maybe I'm a little bit more stable. And then by Saturday, I pick it back up and I'm more stable. Are you stable in your commitments to God? Are you stable in your commitments to your spouse? To your children? How's our stability in our commitments? The next thing I want to ask you about stability is I want to ask you about your ambition. Do you have stable ambition? You know, sometimes we need to check our ambition. I know I have my ambition checked all the time because if what we want isn't what God wants, even if you get it, it has the potential to destroy you. But at the least, it will leave you unsatisfied. You know, so many times, well, we think about Samson. All I can find in the Bible that Samson ever wanted bad enough to do something about was revenge and women. He had unstable ambition. He was an unstable leader in an unstable nation. And that's what he did. You know, but... He had the strength. That's the thing about Samson. He's had the strength to accomplish his ambition. But he never put it in the right path. He never put it to focus. He didn't have stable ambition. You know, I, I had a, a many coaches over the years through doing sports. And if you're going to succeed at anything, and I think this applies not just to sports, but anything, you need three things. If you're really going to go far, you need talent. You can't really control that sometimes. Okay? There's a reason why I don't sing up here. Okay? You just don't have the talent. It's okay. You need opportunity. And you need drive. Now, you can't always control the talent. You can't always control the opportunity. But you can control your personal drive. That's your ambition. That's what you're going for. You know, some of us, I think... We just actually don't want it bad enough. You know, sometimes we just want a job, but we don't want to make a difference at the job. Sometimes I want to go to school, but I don't want to make a difference in my school. Sometimes, you know, we don't even ask for stuff like, you know, like, I would love it if more people asked for pay raises so that I could do something good with my money. Not so I could be selfish with it. That's stable ambition. Are you stable in your, in your ambition? You know, the goal isn't just to be blessed, but I want to be a blessing to people, to others, right? Stable ambition. You know, Samson was only strong enough to get what he wanted and nothing more. You know, but he lost, his potential was great. But you can look back at his life and you're like, wow, it feels kind of wasted in some ways. You ever been that person or known that person where, man, I ha they had the potential, but the, the drive wasn't there. The ambition wasn't there. Let me ask you this. Is the Great Commission still your ambition? 
And I'm not telling you that you need to feel guilty and go outside and hand out some invites for church right now. That is not living out the Great Commission. Okay? I mean, I can go flyer 3,000 cars this week with, with something and people are just going to be annoyed at me by doing that and throw it all in the trash, right? Okay, the, living out the Great Commission. And I remember when I was studying the Bible and I had really, I had ambition. My goal was to, to get a good job, to, to have a wife, to have some, have some kids, have a pretty good car. And I felt like I would arrive with that. And it all switched when somebody set me down and said, hey, Aaron, actually, why you're here is to help people, help people's souls get to heaven. That's why you're here. That's all you really need to worry about, just so you know. Everything else kind of filters through that. Is the Great Commission still your ambition? Are you still walking with God? Because that's part of the Great Commission. Am I still having amazing relationships? The Bible says by our unity, people are going to be saved. It's not by you handing them a church invite or posting something on Facebook. Although that helps. We know that. What about your hospitality? Are you having people into your home? Because the Great Commission is my ambition. This is what I'm going for. See, the Great Commission has to be my lifestyle. And that's stable ambition. The next area I want to ask you about, and this, this, is, this kind of goes for everyone, but about relationships. Are you stable in your relationships? Are you the stabilizer in your relationships? Or are you the destabilizer in your relationships? You might have to ask some of your friends on that one. You know, Samson got into all the trouble that he was in because he tended to consult with the wrong people. He married with the, with the Philistines. He hung out with the Philistines, the group that God called him to deliver them from. And, you know, we'll get to it, but like... Samson did not pick good people to be around him. And he tended to not listen to the ones that loved him. You know, if we keep leaning on weak people, don't be surprised if they let you down. In other words, if you lay your head in Delilah's lap, don't be surprised if you wake up bald. Okay? Looking like some of the brothers in here. No, but you know what? In all seriousness, we need to have stable relationships. We need to be a stabilizer in our relationships. You know, sometimes, you know what's encouraging to me is to see people that go through storms and make it out of the storm. I'm like, I can be around that person. Because they go through tough times, like we all do, and it doesn't rock their world. It does, they don't fall flat on their face and, and, and completely leave God. We all go through tough times. We need to be stable in our relationships. We need to have stable relationships. Sometimes we need to be the stabilizing factor in our relationships. Some of us need to find new relationships because all your friends around you are unstable. And it's causing you to be unstable. You're leaning on the wrong people. Do you have stable relationships? Sometimes I just want to look at somebody, I'm like, man, they, they, they go through trials and they persevere. I can be with that person. You know what? Because I know that their faith is on the rock. It's not built on sand. Their house isn't built on sand. It's not because some wind and some waves come. It's not falling over. 
you know, you guys in the back right there, like, you can't really see, all you see is this speaker and a pole, right? See, what you can't see is the base of the speaker that's causing the stability. See, a lot of times, the same type of principle goes for us. It's not what's happening on the surface in sight that causes the ups and downs. It's the foundation that's unstable. Man, I'm unstable because I don't have a foundation in the Word of God. And that's going to cause your relationships to be unstable. Do you have stable relationships? And the last area, and you can be in Judges chapter 16 for this, is do you have stable beliefs? You know, in Judges chapter 16, after they had cut Samson's hair, they trapped him, he lost his strength, they blinded him, they gouged out his eyes. It says in verse 23 that the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. You know, Samson became the laughingstock. The one that came to... He came to be the deliverer for the Israelites, of Judah, the Jew, people in Judah from the Philistines. Now he was the laughingstock. Verse 25, it says, While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he performed for them. And when, he stood him among, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars. To support the temple so that I may lean against them. Can you say this with me? Big mistake. They've made two big mistakes here. One, they shaved his head, but they kind of forgot something about shaving heads. The hair grows back. You know, that's why I don't care if my wife gets a haircut, because it's like, it'll just grow back, honey. Do whatever you want with your hair. You know what I mean? It grows back. Samson's hair started growing back. And then what else? They put him in the middle of the pillars. The pillars, what do they do to the building? They stabilize it. They hold the building up. So you have Samson. In his most vulnerable state. And they've got him in the middle of the pillars. And in verse 28, I love this. Samson prayed to the Lord, and you got to remember, his eyes are closed here. Like he has, he, his, he's blind. His eyes have been gouged out, and he sits there and he prays to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please. God, strengthen me just one more time, just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson, you guys look at this with me, he reached toward the two central pillars which the temple stood. And what'd he do? What'd he do? He braced himself. See, Samson, in his most vulnerable state, had his greatest victory because he braced himself. You know, what are you going to do this season when the storms of life actually start hitting you, what are you going to do? You got to brace yourself. What are you going to do 
when friends forsake you, what are you going to do? Say it with me. Brace myself. You know, take ownership. Come on, right? That didn't sound. I heard it from over here. Maybe a couple over here. Thank you, Sherry. Come on. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you feel like just hope is completely lost? Brace myself. What are you going to do when you don't know what to do? And see, Samson turned his weakness into street, to strength when he believed, even though he couldn't see. And I think that's where it is. Because you can go to the next side, slide, because he braced himself. Because he was stable in his beliefs. He was stable in his relationships. He was stable in his ambition. He was stable in his, you know, his commitment, his emotions. Like when you do those things, you will be braced. You will be held up. The question I have for the church this morning is, are you bracing yourself? Are you stable? You know, I hope and pray that this week as you leave church today, that you can actually take an honest look at your life. That you can ask yourself, okay, what, what areas in my life are just causing all sorts of instability? Because the thing about each one of these is it starts filtering into the other areas of strength. But if you can go after stabilizing the areas that are unstable in your life, you will see strength in you that you had no idea was there, but it was always there. That's the thing about Samson. Like, God was always there with Samson. You know, I always tend to believe that Samson was this scrawny guy, kind of like me. Because, you know, where would the victory be if he was like, if he looked like the rock, really? You know what I mean? That's just my personal feeling. Where it's just like, the victory had to be because it was like this scrawny dude is beating up everybody. That's like, really, that's, okay, that has to be God. You know what I mean? Samson braced himself. That's the challenge for the church this morning as you leave here is... Will you brace yourself? Will you grow stable? Amen, guys. We'll stand up. We're going to close in our fi- one final song.